Let's start by saying that he is a very charming person. So whoever uh, encounters him uh, is directly charmed. Um, he has this uh, capacity to, um, to make you listen to him and to uh, trust him. He has this ability to make people trust him because he is a very um, clean person on all levels. He has um, a very white record. No one has uh, any thing on him. Uh, so I had this opportunity to to meet him several times in important meetings and in social uh, gatherings. And the last one was at my home uh, in Bikfaya. Um, I felt that I could rely on him because if you are right, he will tell you you are right. If you're wrong, he will tell you you're wrong. He's very straightforward. And when he says something, he does it. And he is always trying to bring people together and try to fix things up. When things are broken, he is trying to fix, up, fix them up. So wherever there was tension between us, Kateib, and future movement, uh, he was the one who uh, they used to send in order to fix things up. So, uh, and everyone knew that I have a big uh, empathy and affection towards your dad. So uh, they used to send him because they know that he has a lot of impact on me and that if uh, something can be done, he is the only one who can do it. Um, plus, uh, he is very strict on his uh, principles, uh, his ethics and his principles, both. Um, personal ethics is very important in politics for me. Mm. It's not important maybe for others, but for me, it's very important. So having this person um, um, talking to me, uh, makes me, it makes me respect the person I, I'm talking to, because I, I have to respect him, because he is a very respectable person. Plus, he has this smile that uh, is, opens a highway for him to the hearts of people and to the hearts of uh, those he is talking to. So um, I'm very, I, I feel very privileged to, uh, to have worked with him uh, in tough times. He always find a way to find solutions for problems. He is a solution person. He is not a troublemaker, he is a solution person. And also very strict on, on principles. For him, Lebanon is everything. And your experience within what was then the March 14 coalition, did you think of his role as primarily messaging between parties, or was it more strategizing, trying I, to find... I think it was both, Rony. He was in the kitchen, in the strategy kitchen, uh, trying to uh, always uh, push the moderate agenda and to uh, try to avoid any kind of extremism on all sides. 
And in the same time, he um, was in charge of implementing this strategy. So he was on both sides. He was in the thinking process and in the execution. So he was in charge also of uh, uh, setting this, uh, uh, this strategy in motion. Mm. So uh, I wish there were more people like him, pure, uh, with high ethics in March 14, because I think uh, March 14th would have succeeded if it was, um, if there were more people like him. He understood the importance of this big coalition that was, uh, for the first time in the history of Lebanon, uh, cross uh, communities. And he knew how important it was to, to preserve this. He did his maximum to, to do so without any other agenda. And this is someone who never asked anything from, for, from, uh, for himself. It was all for the cause, all for Lebanon, all for the, this moderate agenda. Um, he never asked for anything. And this is why um, he was so popular. This is why he was so able to, to, to maneuver and to talk to everyone uh, because everyone knew that this person is totally uh, 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 without any personal agenda or personal ambitions. Are there particular examples you can think of where a problem surfaced and he played a pivotal role? And it could be something cosmetic, it could be an issue that is affecting everybody, but is there a moment you can think of where he was the right person to deliver something? I remember there was uh, this meeting um, where all the leaders of March 14 uh, were present. And, um, you know, at some point I felt that things were, sp were, were splitting, things were, you know, uh, uh, were not going in the right direction because everyone was trying to find um, a wa ways to compromise. Compromise on, uh, uh, on everything that we have been promising the people. Uh, promising uh, all the... Um, uh, regarding Hezbollah's... how to deal with Hezbollah and how to deal with, uh, with Nabi Birri and uh, uh, the whole March 8 group. Some people were pushing for a kind of uh, uh, let's cool down the, the, the political speech, let's tone it down a bit. And uh, I felt that we were losing this battle and March 14 was going in a direction that was not the right one. And then uh, he asked to speak and uh, it was, I think, uh, Saad Hariri, who was, uh, who was, it was at Beit Wasat, and he was presiding the, uh, the meeting. So he gives him uh, his time to speak, and he turned it all around. So I felt so relieved <laughs> that someone was still, you know, holding on 
holding on because as unfortunately in politics people are pushed to compromise all the time and uh, in the history of March 14th it's the uh, it's the succession of compromises that led us to the total failure it's one compromise after the other after the other after the other he became better associated in his last months with the older cause of neutrality, and he would talk about it endlessly. When I look back now at his media interviews, it's maybe 80% revolves around neutrality. And that's a cause that is widely accepted among Kate'ib and, and other parties too, but I think that's embedded in Kate'ib. Were you drawn at all to his way of thinking about these kinds of issues? Was there we, we were aligned on all the issues, the sovereignty and dependence of Lebanon, uh, neutrality. You know that Qatar party took uh, a stand in favor of neutrality since 1959. So it's been uh, 60 years <laughs> we're pushing for neutrality. Uh, so it's been a while. Uh, and everyone pushing back. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> but it is true that uh, every time he talks, I feel uh, totally aligned with him. It's like we uh, think uh, exactly the same way. We have exactly the same approach of things. Uh, a purely Lebanese agenda. Lebanon. Before anything else. Lebanon, Lebanon, Lebanon. This is uh, for us and for him. It was the motto. So uh, in order to protect Lebanon, we had to be neutral. This is, this is the only way to protect Lebanon from the outside and from internal uh, conflicts. Because as you know, the problem of uh, the, the necessity of neutrality is not only to protect Lebanon from external interference. It's also to protect the Lebanese from each other's because um, the neutrality will stop the internal fighting about who we should support, whether it's Iran or Saudi Arabia or uh, the United States or China or anything else. So, okay, guys, this is uh, not our problem. We have to focus on ourselves, focus on our economy, focus on our growth, focus on our education, our culture, our people, our uh, our economy uh, mainly. So <clears throat> in order to do that, we have to take some, uh, to take uh, holidays from uh, the conflicts and uh, uh, focus on ourselves. His thought process of trying to even send a letter to the president of Iran on behalf of Lebanon, or for that matter, trying to persuade Hezbollah to be more pragmatic within Lebanese circles. How would you define that kind of process here in Lebanon? Because for me, it seems to be he was a unique figure and that not other people really played a political role the way he did. He was seeking for ways forward, sometimes on his own. And is that a fair way of describing him to you? Absolutely. Uh, as you know, the. Uh the neutrality project is not a um, future movement project. It's uh, his own uh, uh, political belief. 
So um, the same goes for the rest. So this, he is a free thinker, but he also believes in, uh, in group work because he knows that uh, a person alone cannot achieve anything. So in order to achieve, you have to be in a group so you can be more influential and influence the course of, of history. Yeah. So uh, he tried to marry both. He, had, he, he tried to bring his own uh, thinking to the group. So whenever uh, the group was ready to adopt what he was saying, it was a win-win situation. And whenever the group was not ready yet, he find, uh, always found ways to, uh, to, um, to spread his way of thinking all around. But uh, I think that his position towards the sovereignty of Lebanon, uh, he tried to uh, find solutions with Hezbollah. He tried to call for dialogue. He tried to, um, to seek uh, a kind of, uh, uh, of uh, U-turn from Hezbollah in the way Hezbollah is dealing with Lebanese politics. Then at some point, you can see from his speeches that he kind of gave up on this possibility. This is why his uh, political um, speech went crescendo uh, against Hezbollah. And, uh, and I think that Hezbollah uh, knew the importance of uh, do you think he was ahead of the curve when he really started projecting what Hezbollah was doing to the country? When we look back now, it fits standard language that we use today. Do you think he saw through the problem in a way that was unusual, maybe almost a talent in that he could really see the wider picture at play and see what Hezbollah would become and what they're capable of doing? I think it was uh, easier for someone like me who never had any kind of uh, relationship with Hezbollah to, uh, to see uh, the clear picture. But for him who was in a party that had to deal with Hezbollah every day to form a government, to, 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 to you may be drawn to become more, uh, to, um, uh, I would say, to acknowledge the lie or to uh, somehow uh, believe what you hear and what they say and the promises that are made. But he managed um, to, even if he was, in the, uh, in, in the action of dealing with them, he managed to keep some kind of, uh, to stay on the balcony and to look to the bigger picture. He managed to do that. For me, it was easier because when you look from, from outside, you see exactly what these people are doing. But for someone who is dealing with them and working with them, it becomes much more difficult. So he was able to detach himself and to look at the bigger picture. This is where we met mm. uh, I, uh, um, intellectually. This is where we met intellectually. Because he knew 
what was going to happen. Does he remind you of anyone else in Lebanese politics? And the reason I'm asking you particularly is because you're from one of the most well-established political families in this country. You're born into this story. You represent it today. Uh, in a way, you're pioneering the next generation through it. So I think you have some depth of different individuals over time. Does there, is there anyone that comes to mind? <laughs> Myself. <laughs> because uh, I am a very open-minded person who tries to see the good in people all the time. And it takes a lot for me to uh, accept the fact that it's a dead end. And it took me a lot of time to understand that sometimes you have to accept that this path is a dead end and to have the courage to, um, to change course. Uh, unfortunately, um, the politicians in Lebanon, they are more uh, inclined to um, uh, follow their uh, interests, follow their uh, political gains, and not follow, um, uh, try to achieve something for the country, and whenever it fails, to find other solution, but always stay focused on the country, you know? A lot of people, including in my family, did the opposite path, which is to be tough in the beginning and to understand that you have to open up at the end. It was the case, for example, of Bashir. Bashir started with a very tough position. And with time, by experience, by learning from uh, and more understanding of the country, he managed to, um, to open up more, to become more open-minded to other ideas, to uh, try to be uh, um, uh, a pole of unity and not of uh, conflict. Um, I think that your dad was doing the exact opposite path. Not because uh, trying to find the ways to, uh, to hold the country together is not the right one, but because when you want to find solution with someone, this someone has to be uh, wanting to find a solution. If you are trying to find solutions with people who don't want a solution, but only want to impose and to, uh, at some point, eliminate you, then you have to change strategy. So I think that with time, from 2005 until 2013, the, the, the year of his uh, assassination, he was uh, trying to find solutions and then he arrived to a point where he understood that 
you cannot find solutions with a party or with people who don't want to find a solution. This is why he had to raise his voice, become much more clear-cut and uh, say things as they are. And, um, and uh, he paid the high price for that. If somebody approached you and asked you, who was Muhammad Shatah? What are the words that would first come to you? And it's just a, it's almost like a, an immediate choice of words. What would you say? Who was Muhammad Shatah? Very charming person. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's unique. It's a unique charm. When he comes uh, in a room, everyone feels uh, at peace. You know, you feel at peace when, when he comes in the room. You feel that there's someone who is uh, very, that makes you very comfortable. And, um, and um, you, can, uh, you can open up to him without, by, by being sure that he will only relay the positive and never the negative things. You can say whatever you want, you know that he will keep the bad things for him and he will only uh, repeat the good things to other people. Um, he was a unique person. We lost a giant. We lost a giant. I wish there were more people like him. And I think he was, uh, he is, he was and still is irreplaceable. You cannot replace him. Two years ago, I sat with you. Days after your brother's commemoration, and we started off with a subject that has impacted both of us fundamentally. Your family has paid an immense price for Lebanon. Uh, I was drawn to your story. And back then I thought, this is a rare opportunity to speak to somebody that I think in many ways thinks the way I do. And when you said you see yourself in him, that may explain why. Uh, I'm also drawn to the way you present Lebanon. And it never, it never leaves me. The same day of the assassination, I spoke to you on television. We were both being interviewed. And this was the same evening that it happened. You, within hours, invited me to your home in Bikfaya. That was the first time we met. You're the only... Lebanese politician I went to see in the aftermath. It's an honor to be your friend and an honor to sit with you, Sami Jmail. Thank you so much, Ronnie. Uh, you are uh, uh, one of the last free voices in this country and uh, I hope that you will keep on uh, being the voice of truth the way you are doing in the past years. Uh, please continue, never stop. Uh, try to push everyone to think uh, about Lebanon and to find solutions and find ways for us to live in this country with our children, without 
having to endure what you and I endured. This is the base of everything. And everything we're doing every day is for our children not to live uh, the drama that we went through with our families. This is it. Once we get there, I think that Lebanon would be in great shape. I think so too, and I extend the same words to you. You provide a lot of inspiration. So thank you, Sam Ishmael. Thank you so much, Ronnie. You are a dear friend. <laughs> thank you.